None of these Old Testament stories are fun, are they? Going through all the different women, the stories of each of them trying to decide which one to speak on. It's difficult reading these stories, going through them all, so many of them having such hard, harsh things and circumstances. Some of them were only used as tools, as means to get what the men wanted. They were conniving, able to trick people. Occasionally, you can find one that was strong, that was beautiful, that was powerful. But in my eyes, you don't relate to people like that. I don't relate to people like that. I was trying to find someone relatable, and I came across Hagar and couldn't help but find anyone more relatable. But at the same time, the harshness of that Old Testament God within the story made it very difficult and painful to even share that story. Here you have this Egyptian girl, Hagar, who is not put on the same level or playing field as Abraham and Sarah in our, in our stories that we retell. Sarah has her as her slave, and she treats her well until she gets to the point where she's realizing that this promise of a child is not going to actually come from her womb, and she assumes it will then come from Hagar's. Now, it was normal in that day that if your wife did not produce for you a child within the first two years of marriage, that you would simply get another wife. Several of the men in our Bibles had multiple wives. We praise them. David, do you want to know how many wives David had? You don't want to know. But let's just say lots of them had multiple wives. That was part of their culture, part of their society traditions. Yet Abram never did get another wife. But yet, in that same tradition, if your wife gives you her slave, then that child born of the slave is then yours, with your name in the genealogy. Same happened, um, you've heard several times before about how if a woman's husband in the Bible was to die, then, then his brother would then be her husband. If they had born a child, the late husband's name would be attached to that child. Not the brother that then married and helped conceive the child. It would actually be the brother that died whose name gets attached to that. In the same way, if your slave bore a child for your husband, you as the wife got that name. So here Sarah is giving Hagar to her husband. She bears a child. But this is the thing about us people, us human beings. Whenever we can't do something and we see someone else that can, our pride gets in the way pretty big. And Sarah was extremely jealous of what Hagar was able to give Abram that she was not. 
and every day while pregnant, every day since giving birth, every time she looked at that child, she thought of what she could not give her husband. To the point that she decided, with Abram's permission, and this is the horrible part, because it really looks like God's blessing upon this, to treat her as you would any ordinary, regular slave. In your heads, you're probably thinking like mine did when I first started going through this, the slavery that happened in our own country decades ago. She was able to not just speak harshly to her, she was able to beat her on a daily basis. She was able to not have to provide food for her, very minimal shelter that didn't have to be in that main house. She was able to treat her as a second-class citizen. No dignity, no respect. Hagar would have no say in what happens to her. And Hagar gets so tired of it, day after day, that she takes her toddler son and she flees out into the desert. And I sit there and I think, how hard does life have to be that you take your toddler son in a culture in which you as a slave girl have no money, no respect, no dignity, nothing, no possession worthy of anything. And you run out into a desert that you do not know, where you are already an alien. She was an Egyptian. She was already an outsider. How hard does life have to be that you get to that point in your life? <coughs> and there she is in the desert with her toddler son, and she's afraid she's going to witness her son dying before her eyes. The one thing that no mother should ever have to see. And she lays him under a shrub bush, and she cries out to God as he is wailing. And God does not hear Hagar's cry, but Ishmael, Abram named him Ishmael, which literally means God hears. God hears his cry, not Hagar's, which kind of takes me off. <laughs> and God sends a, str a stream to flow near them so that they don't die. And sends an angel to say, what are you doing? Go back. Go back into this life of slavery, of having no dignity, no respect, of being treated like trash physically and emotionally. Go back where this child of yours 
is not considered yours. That's when the story really, really upset me. Was when I felt like I couldn't even stand God being a part of the story. There are times that we get frustrated and upset with God. There are times that we see people around us not standing up for what needs to be stood up for. Like Abram. When Sarai sat there and said, I want to treat her like the other slaves. I can't even stand looking upon her. He says, then do it. Banish her from this land. Let go of her. Thank you. My mic did that. When I was in high school, which was just a few years ago. <laughs> there was a popular song on the radio uh, by a well-known band, Aerosmith, and it started off this way. Wait, maybe I should make sure I'd say this right. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> There's something wrong with the world today. I don't know what it is. There's something wrong with our eyes. We're seeing things in a different way, and God knows it ain't his. There was something wrong with God's eyes in this story. To the point that Hagar in the desert is the first person in the Old Testament to ever give God a name. It's called Elroy, which makes me think of the Jetsons. I don't know about the rest of you. But literally, it means God sees. Meaning at some point in the story, God finally sees Hagar. It might have been a roundabout, backwards way of getting there, but God finally saw Hagar and said that she would be blessed and that her, her lineage would continue, which would mean her son would continue. Life would continue. Now... I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times that our pride gets in the way of our relationships. And I was thinking back to different times that I've known people that have been too prideful to mend those relationships, too prideful to be able to say they're sorry, too prideful to be able to reach out even if the person that you're reaching out to says no. And I was thinking about these women. These women in the story about how they were at complete odds with one another, but yet they didn't start off that way. In the beginning, Hagar was proud 
to be a servant in the house of Abram. This God-fearing couple, Sarai, who she looked up to. And I found this poem. It's by a poet, Alicia Susskind Ostriker. And she starts off with Sarai grieving, saying, we should be allies. We are both allies. All women are allies. And then it continues with what's on the cover of your bulletin. She threw me away like garbage. But I still wonder, why could she not love me? We were women together. We were women together. We forget that we are so much stronger working together than we are when we work apart. In New Orleans, the church that I worked at was a unique blending of two churches post-Katrina. Neither church could sustain itself on its own after the hurricanes came through. Both buildings receiving over five feet of water in their sanctuaries. And they asked that famous Desmond Tutu question. Can we do more together than we can apart? And this historically black church and this historically white church came together. And there was this beautiful, beautiful ministry from this church that beautifully represented the city as a whole. And this ministry was called Hagar's House. We had women, some on their own, some with children in tow, that were fleeing abusive situations. Women that could no longer continue to have their dignity and respect stripped away day after day. And they were welcomed into Hagar's house. They were given food, shelter, their kids given the clothes to go to school. They were taught how to train themselves for jobs, how to dress for a job interview, how to build up a resume. They were given these opportunities that they had never been given before. And each of the fundraisers for Hagar's house are women doing things for these women. Their biggest one is a huge concert called Women Performing for Women. And it's all the famous female jazz musicians in the area put on a big concert and all the proceeds go towards Hagar's house. Now, you don't have to be a woman to support other people. People should be supporting other people. You know that. We know that. Even though right now in our Iowa caucus mood, we see people demeaning other people, trying to strip away dignity and humanity. We're better than that. And we're better than that when we are working together as a whole, loving each other. 
I'm going to go ahead and lead us into our communion meditation because that's where I think every good sermon should lead us is to the table. But we'll still sing before having communion. We are all broken, wandering people. And this table feeds us as we walk through the wilderness of life. Because we never know what it will be that will cause us to turn and run into the desert. We never expect to be in the desert. We don't sit there and say, hey, my goal for this new year is to have to run into the wilderness, into the desert. It's not a place we want to go. It's not a place we ever want to find ourselves. This table, it feeds us. This table brings light into the darkness. This table allows us to see God and allows God to see us. Elroy, the God who sees Ishmael, the God who hears. Emmanuel, God is with us. At this table and everywhere we go, God is with us. Let's just sit in that uneasiness as we come this morning to the table.